This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, I'm brave enough to come back after all of that, then we'll get started, uh, started right into it, and uh, maybe I need to give people another minute or two, still trying to find that opportunity to drink a water and switch gears and stretch and Yes, you had a question. Then I'll, I'll get into uh, what I want to see happen on sun, a Sabbath morning. Well, what I was going to say is I just recently was up in the Fargo area. They're doing a church plant, or they have been for a few years, and the pastor was away, and so he asked me to come in to help while he was gone. But I thought it was really neat that he had a church member assigned to tracking attendance. I mean, they used an iPad, and they actually know would know what week certain people were there, and that way they could be able to follow up on oh, well, we need to be concerned about this member. We haven't seen them for a while. Or they came in September a few times. You know, So there was a sense of accountability and being able to know um, where to go from there with the different people that are in the church. Yeah, and that's good. I think with uh, all the computer stuff you can do that, maybe you would have to put together my whiteboard. The nice thing about the whiteboard is in all the cards, we just sit there and take one look at it and instantly uh, get it. But uh, you can do that with iPads, too, so I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not against that kind of thing. All right, good. Let's, uh, let's plunge in here and back to what I'd like to see happen on Sabbath morning. Um, there's a book written by uh, Campbell on how to really love your child, and he gives three principles in there. Um, his basic premise was that, that um, many times young people know that they're loved, but they don't feel loved. So he asks the question, he says, how do you make people feel loved, cared for? Now, that shouldn't be a hypocritical thing. It should come out of our hearts, of course. But every member coming through that door needs to feel loved on Sabbath morning. Have you ever been sick at home on Sabbath and your spouse comes home What's the first question that goes through your head? Who was there? I'd expect that from you, Scott. But a lot of people will say, did anybody ask about me? That's a human, uh, that's a human thing to say because we need fellowship and we need to know that we're cared about and that, and that we're loved. It's just a normal human response. Well, he said, he said um, that... That your, that your children have emotional tanks and these emotional tanks need to be filled and he gave three ways to fill it and I just transpose that to adults because adults are no different. They also have emotional tanks and the tanks need to be filled. So when people come to church on Sabbath morning, the spiritual leadership of the church needs to be there helping to fill those emotional tanks. The first one, he said, these are, th- are three pretty easy ones, but, and, and, and hopefully you won't forget them. They get a little tougher, though. The third one's the toughest. The first one, he says, is eye contact. So when I look at you in the eye, I'm not talking about staring at you, but when I just look at you in the eye, that communicates a natural caring. 
you ever talk to somebody that's like this all the time, they never look at you? So when you, when you, so people need to be looked at in the eye. Now, I, I gave this in a, another part of the world and some uh, in Africa and some of the uh, good African elders took me aside and helped me to understand that, listen, in our culture, a younger person does not do, they, they never look an adult leader in the eye. So anyway, this is culturally conditioned. So you have to, you may not apply everywhere, but in Western culture, it pretty well applies. And by the way, they were very, they were very polite and, uh, and helping me, and they, they blessed me. And I'm glad they didn't just leave me there to keep making the same mistake. You know? But in Western culture, you communicate caring through eye contact. So somebody comes through the door, when you see them, you walk up to them, and you first thing you do is look at them and smile. Okay, That communicates caring. The second thing is touch. Now add to that appropriate touch. Um, Elder Snaman is the ministerial director. I'm going to get him to come up here right now because I'm going to use him for an illustration. But um, he and I know that we sometimes have to deal with inappropriate stuff. Um, and sometimes it's well-meaning. Sometimes, and some cultures are different than other cultures. I understand that. We understand that. That in some cultures, everybody gets hugged. But there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I don't care who tells you that this is uh, not good. I'm telling you it is good. And, and um, at any rate. So... If, if, depending on what culture you're in, and a lot of times people don't want to be hugged. So as an elder or a pastor, I don't initiate hugs. I'm talking about male, female. Male, female, right. Now with males, I, I even have to be a little careful with males, but with a male, if I see on Sabbath morning, I do this kind of a thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an appropriate way. We've got a handshake, and, and we're just letting each other know that we care about each other. That's appropriate. If it's, a, if it's a female, I may do something like this. I'm using my other hand, and I'm, I'm doing that kind of thing. What am I doing with that? Uh, this just communicates cordiality. But I want to communicate warmth. I want to communicate caring. So if, if it's a lady, I'm doing this. I'm so glad to see you here, sister so-and-so. And you're not sister so-and-so, I know that. <laughs> I knew they were going to laugh when I said that. So, uh, but uh, and, and some men even if if you just have to watch people's body language. Some men may not feel comfortable with this, and if that's the case, I do this. Okay. So appropriate touch. Um, I a lot of times will touch people as I go by, but again, I do that appropriately. If you go by somebody and you just want to say. I saw you, I'm thinking about you, but you don't have time to talk. You just go by somebody like that. But what you don't do with a woman in particular, or even a man really, you don't do this. Follow what I'm doing? This is leaving my hand on there 
it's, it keeps squeezing and it can be misinterpreted even though it may be innocent in itself. A pat like that is going to be hard to be misunderstood. Or a pat on the, on the elbow, a pat on the shoulder is going to be hard to be misunderstood. So appropriate touch. Don't go away. I'm going to use you for the next one. Um, the, the next one's the toughest one. And it's called giving a person focused attention. Now, the greeters are going to be cordial and nice, aren't they? Oh, we're so happy to see you here. Uh, we're so glad to see you here, Roy, Brother Royce. Glad you're here today. But now I'm the elder, and I want to minister to him. Now, this is why you need more than one person doing this in your foyer. And by the way, the pastor does not have enough time to do this with everybody. But if the elder is already, doesn't mean he can't do it with other people, but if he's already zeroed on his ten families, then he's going to particularly seek those out. So I'm saying that Ross and Lori, Lori's not here, it's his wife, uh, they're on my list. So I see them come in and I say, Lori, so good to see you. How have the two of you been? Great week. Yeah. Now at that point I can just walk off, but I haven't given them focused attention. I'm going to say, Royce, I, I heard that your mother was not well, and this week I've been praying for her. How is she doing? Much better. Thank Much you. better. Praise the Lord. And, and how, is, uh, how is that 13-year-old doing? I saw her heading out to her class here. She's troubled, but we're, we still love her. Okay. <laughs> well, all of us have had kids. Know what that's kind of like. Listen, anything I can do, you let me know, but you know you're in my prayers. All right. That's focused attention. I'm giving, I'm ministering to him. Maybe it's not that issue. Maybe it's some other issue. But I'm intimately acquainted with what's happening in their life. Now, thank you so much. Now, let's say on Sabbath morning, I'm keeping a mental, I'm keeping a mental note. I'm keeping a mental note in my head. And I said, hmm, I didn't see Royce and Lori here today. I wonder what had happened. Oh. So I made a mental note. Sabbath afternoon, I'm giving a call. Royce, I missed you today. I always love seeing you. I hope everything's okay. You didn't tell me anything about a vacation. So how are things? Now, some people say, well, you know, some people may not. I'll take the, I'll take the risk. Because... Any way you cut that, they know I cared enough to give the telephone call. Now, they may say, oh, hey, not to worry. Lori was sick, and I stayed home to take good care of her. Okay, well, good. That gives me I'll remember your prayer this week. Is there anything else we can do? How sick are you? Are you well? Yeah, so you guys are eating okay? Oh, you know, you're, uh, that kind of small talk. But it's the kind of thing that we're ministering to people, and they know that we care about them. Um, and if I'm not getting a response, maybe they have my number on the, their cell phone and they say, oh, I don't think I'm going to answer this. And I don't get an answer and they don't show up. Two weeks goes by, three weeks. Then I'm going to get in my car on a Sabbath afternoon and go make a visit. And I'm just going to show up. And I'm not going to embarrass them. I'm just going to show up at the door and say, you know, oh, hey, I'm just missing you guys so much. I've been thinking about you. I hope you guys aren't sick. Oh, no, come on in. And we go in and we visit a little bit. And then I say, is everything okay? 
Everything gets quiet. I say, it's okay. Is it something special you need me to pray about? Well, we've had some real pressure. I, my boss just came in and insisted that I show up on Friday night or I'd lose my job. That's the real world. Now I've got a chance to minister. Now I've got a chance to strengthen him. Now I've got a chance to encourage him. I'm also discipling him. And now I want Roy name to talk about training center churches for a few minutes in this context. You ready to do that? Let's do it. What uh, our Gallimore is referring to is Ellen White says in uh, Christian Service, chapter 5, there's a chapter entitled Training Center Churches. And I believe it's page 59, a little bit into that chapter, she specifically says that all of our churches should be training schools for Christian workers. And, you know, like all of us, we kind of say, all right, what's that? Um, Nobody ever told me at seminary about a training center church. I didn't know what one was. And uh, as a conference, we spent a little time praying, studying, working together to try to understand what that might look like. You know, a school is fairly clear in most people's minds. It has somebody who's leading the school. If it's a school, it's a principal. It has teachers. It has students. In a church, we have a similar kind of environment. You have somebody leading. You have a pastor. You have leaders in the church from elders on down, and you have members. And to make a really long story short, over about the last two and a half years, the Michigan Conference has really wrestled with how to do this. We took, went to three pastors in our conference, and we said, we would like to work with you intensely for, th- for six months. We took one of our evangelists out of the field, Steve Vale, and asked him to work directly with those pastors and their leaders in that church. We went to the churches as well and asked that they would be willing to participate in an experiment. We came to them and said, we don't know where we're going, and that's not always the greatest way to start off, but... Sometimes it's better to be honest. (laughs) And we've got some ideas, but we would like to share them with you. We'd like to work with you. And so for the next six months, we worked with those churches trying to understand what a training center church would look like. The bottom line is we came to the end of that six months, developed some understanding of some basic principles. And when we got together, he said, all right, your six months is done. Now tell us, are we headed in the right direction, or should we forget about it? And the, uh, the people, the elders especially, uh, the leaders of the churches all said, no, no, this is going the direction we need to go. We can see this. Now, we had three churches. One was a, a large metropolitan church. Another one was a, um, a small church plant uh, in a suburb of, uh, of Flint, Michigan. And another one was a 
just an average-sized church. So we had three different-sized churches. I thought the large metropolitan church was going to say, look, enough is enough. But all of them said, no, we're headed the right direction. We need to go. What did we wind up doing? We discovered that there are, there are several different ways of saying this. I like to put it this way because I'm just simple-minded. I, I think there are two basic principles to training-centered churches. The first one is our leaders and our members must all be disciples. And that means our leaders and our members must be really disciples, biblical disciples, winning souls themselves. If your church is going to be a training center for Christian workers, then the teachers, the leaders, the teachers must themselves be experienced soul winners, right? So that means the elders, the deacons, the deaconesses, and, and et cetera, everyone in the church that's leading must themselves be winning souls because they're going to teach others how to win souls and how to be disciples. And that was one of the things I thought that the elders would move away from, but they all agreed that this is what needed to be happening. The second thing that came into this whole principle is that every new member must also be discipled. Now, folks, one of the things we struggle with, now maybe you and your conferences and your churches are not struggling with this, but we, we know that most church members who are baptized are gone in a very, fairly quick uh, period of time. Now, here's what I mean by gone. Some of them are leaving the church and just not coming back. Nobody's counting them. They're not being taken care of. The second thing is that they may be staying in the church, but they haven't become disciples. And in my mind, they're gone. They're not, they're not there for the Lord Jesus in his work and his ministry and his service. So we, have asked our, we had to ask ourselves, how can we intentionally do something to change that? And the more we got into it over the last two years, we got so intentional that it developed into a whole a philosophy and structure that we worked with in our conference. And we're now asking all of our churches to be serious about being training center churches. We actually prepared a pack that um, is for all new members. And uh, one of our one of our pastors that has been very active in this, and we're all learning as we go, is my own pastor. His name is Justin Ringstaff. And my wife and I had the privilege of working with a couple ladies that my wife had gotten acquainted with. And uh, over the last uh, year or so, um, both of them have been baptized, one about a year ago and one uh, about uh, two months ago. And, um, you know, I wondered how they were going to be discipled and I knew that Justin Ringstaff had been part of our team and leading this. And would you believe he came to the ministerial director and said, now you need to be the mentors for these people. I said, I'm the ministerial director. I'm busy, you know. I'm kidding. And so he said, you need to mentor them. So I've, I've gotten involved in this. We take the materials. It's curriculum, full out curriculum for about a year and a half identifying all the kinds of steps that need to take. I, I can't, just don't have time to get into all of that right now. And uh, it's a wonderful experience. These ladies are loving it. Some people are saying, oh, they won't want to continue on that. Just don't let them know that it's not normal. Okay? If you, if you, what we do is 
And what I did with these ladies is as we were studying and preparing for baptism, well before we got to baptism, I said, now one of the things that the Bible teaches is about discipleship. And we gave them a Bible study on discipleship. And then I handed them, when we got done with that, I handed them a card that said, we would like you to make a commitment to be a disciple. You're preparing for baptism right now, and when you're baptized, if you will sign this card, I'm going to bring this card back to you, your baptism and remind you that you're now, you've now been baptized, but the next step is your discipleship journey. And we actually have a journey log that has things can be checked off along the way, so when nothing falls through the cracks, it doesn't get forgotten. And I'll tell you, as a busy person myself, I need that. I need to have that because I can't remember what I did last time if I don't do that. And so we do that. We've been doing the one that was baptized a year ago. She's been doing this for about a year, and she's just eating it up. I mean, I give her a list of things, and she's got it all done before we get back again, usually before the day out is out. She reads or watches the videos or, or goes where we need her to go or whatever. Those two principles help to be sure that those lost sheep are not lost, that disciples are truly discipled, not just taught what the church is all about, that's important, the doctrines we believe, that's important, but also taught themselves how to be a disciple. And there's a graduation service when they get done that encourages them in this process that they have now reached the point where they've become a disciple. And this process is all done in front of the church so that everybody is involved in this whole experience. And uh, the Training Center Church, there's so much to it, I don't have time to get into, into all that's happening. But we really believe that you can't just baptize people. There has to be a very intentional process afterwards. I have something I want to uh, share with you if you're interested in it. Um, and you want to see a little bit more about the principles, I'll give you a little card here. It's a, uh, got a little, uh, uh, what do they call these, DRLs or something like that? I don't know what they are. And uh, if you click on that, it'll take you directly to the resources page of this section. It's trainingcenterchurches.org is where you can find this, but this will take you directly to resources. So it's a little something. If, would you mind handing this out here? Um, and Leo, if you don't mind helping, then just pass it out on this side. And if you want one, take one. If you, if you uh, don't want one, that's fine. Trainingcenterchurches.org, but this will take you directly to it. If you know how to scan one of these DRLs and, and do it, it'll take you where you want to go with that. And it'll tell you more about it. You can see it. And if some reason you want more information from us, this isn't something we're trying to sell. It's just that we believe this is a great principle and it would be helpful uh, for you and your church and help to reduce some of the issues relative to losing members and uh, not having people develop in, in, into an experience of discipleship. And we need to have everybody become disciples, okay? Uh, I'll give you a chance to ask a question here in just a moment. Uh, one of the reasons that Jay was uh, asking me to do that is because the whole experience of the elders leading and the church themselves being disciples means that when they're visiting these people and ministering these people, they're not just doing, you know, organizing Sabbath morning platform service. One of the things we found in the churches when we started with them, they said, look, I'm already busy taking care of organizing the platform. And we said to them, that's part of your job 
but your first job is to be a disciple for Jesus Christ. If you're not a disciple, you can't be a leader in your church. And, and we didn't say, now, step down. No, we said, you're not being a leader. You need to be able to do that, and, and the best way to do it is by taking that step. Thank you, gentlemen, for doing that. So those are the kinds of things that help to bring this into focus. I'm going to take one more minute to do this. I'm going to do it real quick. I do have a present for you. I'm not going to hand these out right now. If you'd like one of these, you can come. Um, Scott, you're going to forgive me for what I'm going to do now. You're going to block your ears if you would. Now, we, there are, I sat down uh, at breakfast with uh, um, uh, Brother McNeilis, who's the father of uh, Justin McNeilis, the president of GYC. And uh, he mentioned to me that there are 27 colleges of evangelism in the United States now. That means there's one for every other state <laughs> and just about one for every conference. So um, in a sense, there's a competition. I hope that there's so much demand that all of those schools are filled and God's work is being done. We're not in competition with each other. We're just simply trying to get God's work done. But I do want to tell you that uh, the, there's a, we have a school in Michigan called Emmanuel. Um, it, it was a follow-up to uh, Arise, and Scott was part of the Arise program before, and he's doing a great work in life right now. But uh, the guys there at Emmanuel have prepared something, a new resource they believe everybody would uh, uh, be able to use and utilize. Nobody's ever done that we know of video um, presentations on difficult questions, answering difficult questions. These are indexed DVDs. The first one they've done, there's more to come, but the first one they've done is on the Sabbath. And if you put it in your computer, you can index it uh, or, or in a uh, t- uh, DVD player, and you can go directly to the question you want to hear the answer to, and they present biblical information there on, on the answer to that. These are free, and I'm going to leave them right up here. If you want to get a hold of one, you can, and um, if you're looking for a place that understands the principles of TCC, and that's why I wanted to share this with you. Uh, Emmanuel has a, uh, a program similar to the other colleges, but understands these principles of TCC in a significant way, and it's part of the curriculum that they're teaching there, and this is on, on that. I'll just leave it up there if you would like to participate uh, or want, know somebody who might, the information's there. Do you have any questions on TCC, and then I'll turn it back over to... Elder Gallimore. Any questions at all? Okay, yeah. Our training center churches, um, at least as the Michigan Conference is handling, something that you're implementing as a, a program to begin and so the church will continue as a training center church? Or is it something that you're like doing for a certain amount of time and then kind of moving to try it with other churches as well? We, we tried it for, with three churches, and now we've taken it to the conference. We've been experimenting, and we've learned along the way what to do with it. It's a good question. But uh, what, what we're doing is we are, we don't like the word program because churches are programmed out. But we believe it's obedience. When Ellen White tells us our churches need to be training schools for Christian workers, we don't believe we have a right to say, well, that's optional. We believe we should be. That's what's going to change things in making the churches 
uh, or helping the churches develop into training schools. And so as a consequence, we are asking all our churches to do that, period, and uh, working with our pastors and training them and our lay people and training them, and slowly it's beginning to grow and, and to develop that way. Okay? All right, any other questions? Okay, great, thanks. All right, uh, and thank you for sharing that because we, we're really in the business not of making church members but of making disciples, and, and we just have to be about that. By the way, I forgot to... Uh, uh, it, well, I was mentioning about the, the appropriate touch thing, and I, I wanted to finish that little part, and I didn't quite get it all finished, but um, I don't initiate hugs, as I mentioned earlier, with ladies unless there is a crisis. In other words, if somebody has lost a loved one or there's some kind of crisis like that, even then I'll try to do that from the, the side. Sometimes women will initiate a hug because it's part of culture or just because it's part of their personality. And when they do that, Ross, I'll get you to come back up here. Uh, uh, if you do that, then I, I lean like this, okay? Uh, do not give body hugs. It's, it's inappropriate for men to do that. It'll make a woman feel uncomfortable and she should not ever have to feel uncomfortable. And uh, there's been a time or two, that's good, thanks. And sometimes they call that a tent hug. I know some people make, kind of make fun of that, but don't make fun of it. And uh, it's, uh, it's an appropriate way to, to deal with uh, situations because you're going to find yourself in different situations. So we, we want to be appropriate. We want to do things the way that the Lord would have us to do, and we don't want to send wrong messages. I had, one of my churches had a wonderful deacon, wonderful deacon, but I had come, some of the ladies come to me and say, you know, he's just giving, he's just giving just the wrong kind of hugs here. Well, so what do we do? Well, as elders, we took him aside and said, we really appreciate you. We love what you do here, but we don't want you making the ladies uncomfortable. Oh, he, it just hadn't dawned on him for whatever reasons. And uh, so he, he responded really, really well. But you've got to be willing to, you cannot allow that kind of thing to unravel in your churches. You've got to uh, be careful with it. All right, uh, coming back to where we were in Matthew chapter 18, uh, and that's why I want you counting sheep and want elders counting sheep, and of course we've got training center churches. We're really going to be doing that. Uh, by the way, Royce, I happen to be at the same, I go to the same home church he does, and I'm rarely ever there, but I saw one of your converts, and she was happy as she could be, smiling, and she's obviously she's connected into that church family, one of the new converts, he and Lori led to the Lord. All right, uh, let me go back to uh, number 12, verse 12 of chapter 18. Uh, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? Now, I want to continue. Uh, I want to get back to the elders' meeting. One of the things that the elders' meeting should do, one of the things, it should be thinking about evangelism, should be planning that, those kinds of things with a pastor. But one of the things that it should be doing is it should be surveying the church list and it should say, and getting reports from the elders and their visitation program and their connection with their, their particular parish. And the elder may say, you know, we're, we're having a struggle with, um, we've got a teenager that is just really straying and I'm, I don't know what to do. They're doing X, Y, and Z and this is open, 
And we, we need to, and so what the elders then do is they start consulting together, they start praying together, and they say, Lord, teach us how to reach this young person. And they, then they come up with a plan of action. Um, so that you don't just sit there and say, well, sure, hope he makes it. Well, I'll pray for him. Praise God. Please pray, earnestly pray. But we need a plan of action. So what kind of plan of action should it be? Well, it should be somebody, you should put it together, something that, that connects to that person. Who has, the first question that I ask in that kind of thing is, who has influence in that person's life? Who has the most influence in this circle in that person's life? Use the power of influence. I'm going to talk more about that in a few moments. Use the power of influence and then put together a plan to go and reach that person. That's not just a visit. Because you want to see them on Sabbath morning. Sometimes people say, oh no, did you see so-and-so? They showed up with all the baubles and dangles. And you say to yourself, okay, there's something going on here. Sometimes it's not the baubles and the dangles. It's something else. And if you try to deal with the baubles and the dangles without dealing with the underlying problem, you haven't, you haven't solved anything. I, let me give you, it's a little different illustration, but it's an illustration. I was doing uh, evangelism one time, and I was visiting a lady. She was not a Seventh-day Adventist, just to illustrate my point. She's not a Seventh-day Adventist, and she had been coming to the meetings doing really well, I'm, I'm, and she was covered with this stuff. I mean, just really covered with it. I knew it was going to be a big deal in her life. So at some point, got around, and we went through that area, and I studied with her, and I could see her face harden. You can read people's mind. You could, you could see her face hardening. And so um, I, I was just talking to her about it, and, and she says, well, no, I'm not, I'm not taking this off. I am not taking it off. And I knew she meant it. So I, uh, I backed off, and I asked a question. I says, let's just pretend that I'm not here. Let's just pretend that Jesus himself was here. And that he's talking to you. If Jesus, if Jesus asked you to take it off, would you do it? And her answer was no. Now I've got a different problem. You understand what I mean? So what I've got to work with now is the underlying issue. The underlying issue is a surrender of self. The underlying issue is that this has become an idol in her life. Now, I've had, I've had many that, uh, and, and the same, I lost that one. But I had another one. She's 18 years old, vivacious, young woman, and she's covered with this stuff. Um, and she's coming to meetings and so forth. And, and I, I get to that point, and, and I talk to her about it and show it from the Scripture. And, and she starts crying. Tears start rolling down her face. She says, she looks at me and she says, if Jesus wants it to have this, he can just have it. She's just pulling it off right then and there. I mean, it's just two opposite things. But one, it, it's always a heart issue. Always a heart issue. And sometimes we overreact. You see, you see people come with that or you see kids. That we, we overreact or we underreact. We either don't address it at all or we address it in a way that is inappropriate to address it. 
And in both ways, it sends wrong messages. By the way, not everybody is cut out to handle that kind of thing. Uh, you know, there's certain people that just in your church that have talent for those kinds of sensitive things and use those people, train them. doesn't mean you can't do it, but you've got to be careful with it. Scott, I know you do that down in Orlando when you, when you teach people. Uh, like He's got a wonderful school of evangelism down there. So we talked about Emmanuel, but I want to give credit to him because uh, we sent him down there to be a missionary to help start that school. So uh, he's doing a great job down there, as well as the guys at Emmanuel. So anyway, uh, in, in the church, so always when you see outward stuff, the outward stuff may not be the issue at all. It's usually a hard issue, and you have to learn how to go after the heart as you nurture people in Christ. And I've had people that, it's the funniest thing, you know, when you do evangelism, I did evangelism as a pastor, I trained pastors how to do evangelism in the church. And one of the advantages of doing that is that I, I get to see people grow. And you can do a very, I know some people sit back and judge the evangelist and they say, well, you know, he didn't really instruct them very good, did he? Well, I've had the case where I instructed them very well. They were all, sure, that's wonderful. And then, you know, three months later, all of a sudden stuff comes back on. What's going on here? And then I go and visit with them and, and uh, a little bit. And I say, you know, Pastor, I forgot about that. Sometimes things just don't stick the first time around. Don't, don't be burdened over that kind of thing. It's just externals. Externals can get tough. It's the heart that you want to go after. I had a lady, and it's a real large church, vivacious. Um, and, uh, and she'd come into the church before I had arrived as pastors. But one of those people that was just a natural leader, she was vivacious. And, uh, but she was... She was painted up like a Christmas tree. I mean, it was, it was pretty whatever. Uh, yeah. I, anyway, wonderful person. Anyway, came around the time of the nominating committee. and the, We would sure, saints on the nominating committee, we would sure, I haven't gotten to the nominating committee. I'm coming to that, by the way. We're going to get into that before we get done today. Oh, I'm, there's other things I'd rather talk about, but no, we really should talk about it. Um, Anyway, nominating committee time came up, and some of the saints says, you know, we'd really, really like to use her. And, uh, but we can't use her in certain positions because of the way this comes across. So I says, well, let me go talk to her. So I found a chance, and she knew I cared about her and her walk in, with Christ. She knew that. I'd, I'd, I'd gain that respect because I really did. And um, so I sat down, was just visiting with her. I said, you know, I'm not going to say your name. We'd really, really like to use you, but have you thought about maybe toning that down a little bit, maybe making it a little bit more natural? Because we want to make sure we're sending good messages to our young people. She looked at me and she says, well, I haven't even thought about it. Well, sure. I'm telling you that, I said, wonderful. Well, the saints want to use you to do X. I'm telling you, she came back looking just wonderful the next week. It was just, and, and, and gave great leadership in that church and those areas that she wanted, that, that we needed her to use. Just, it just took a little loving coaching, you know. Not, con- not going, okay, I see. Boy, I've got to win this here. No, no. Relax. Relax. You love this person. 
You're not out to get anybody. You're not out to embarrass them. I'm not going to embarrass them if I can avoid it. You relax. And they sense that relax. And, uh, and you don't go there, you know, just armed with the Bible and the Spirit. Well, you might need it. I got it in my back pocket if I need it. But you just talk about the need. And we nearly need you. Well, we did need her. She just hadn't seen it, hadn't thought about it. Many times people are not obstinate. Yeah, I know some people can get really obstinate. I got, I'm sending you, I'm, I'm mad. I'm sending you, a, well, then whatever is going on on the outside is just a symptom of something else. And you've got to get to the real cause of the issue. And many times the other stuff will just flow away. I've, I've had it happen where I just sit down and talk and says, tell me what's going on in your heart. Well, I'm angry. Why are you angry? Then we get into it. We talk about the anger, the bitterness. And, you know, the tears come and the Holy Spirit comes. You never have to say a word about the other stuff. It just disappears. Because it was there because somebody was hurt or angry or whatever. It's, so you've you got to nurture these sheep. You know, in the Bible, they, they don't drive. In, in this country, we drive sheep with dogs, you know. And it's amazing. I, you ever watch these sheepdog trials of fat? They're absolutely fantastic. So I'm not downing that. It's, uh, I love to watch it. But in, in those days, back then, the shepherds led their sheep, and they knew their sheep by name. And there's a difference between leading and driving. And uh, it, there's a different mindset to that. And So, you know, just because somebody shows up with an earring on Sabbath doesn't mean that the whole church is going to hell in a handbag. But don't ignore it either. You know, you, you, you deal with it in appropriate ways. Because you're shepherds, and you want to make sure that you keep those sheep uh, coming in the right direction. All right, let's see. Did I, did I, uh, where did I get here? Um, uh, all right, look at verse 14, if you would. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that any of these little ones shall perish. Let me give you another example of this. I was, um, we, we had had a, an evangelistic meeting and had a wonderful couple. They came in. They came in with a teenage daughter who was 13. The teenage daughter was as mad as she could be because this had really upset her life. I mean, mom and dad had now restricted the television. The life had changed at home, and she had grown up in a whole different thing. Can you imagine? So she's 13, 14, and she's mad. She comes to church, and I, I go out to her to say, hey, I'm so glad. And, and she looked at me like this and just do this. You know? and, and, and it was that way with everybody in the church. She, was just, she didn't want to be there. Uh, Mom and Dad were just, you know, well, she's 13. She's coming to church with us kind of a thing. And they were doing their part. And they were frustrated. They didn't know what to do. So I began to pray. And let me tell you, the power of intercessory prayer is so, so key in all of this. First of all, it changes my own heart. It makes me examine how I approach this kind of thing. And it softens me. And it, and it humbles me. And it gives me an opportunity to say, Lord, now I can hear your voice. So you teach me how to do this. So I began to pray for her. And I, didn't, I couldn't get through. I mean, I tried about everything I knew how to do. I, I'm not getting... I, there is a wall like a a brick wall, and I'm, you know, I'm busting my nose on it every time I, I come up against it. It was just, she was mad, and she was unhappy, and it, it was just the way it was going to be. Uh, one day, uh, 
we were on our way to camp meeting, and it so happened the place I was leaving, camp meeting wasn't too far away from our church, so I, it's one of those places you could live at home and go to camp meeting. And I was on my way to camp meeting, and as I was on my way, I noticed that their car had, was stopped on the road with a flat tire, so I naturally pulled off to see if I could give you some help. And dad and mom were there with the kids, and they said, well, hey, no, don't, you don't need to worry about this. We'll take care of this. But our kids need to get to their divisions at camp meeting. And would you take them? I said, sure, I'll be glad to take them. So uh, one of the kids crawled in the back seat, and the other one, and she crawled into the front seat or got in the front seat. And I've got, I've, I've got, a, I've got a few, not very long. I've got about three or four miles to go here. And I, I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, help me to get through to this kid. So I, start, and I just start talking to her real gently and how we cared about her and how we wanted to see her grow up and be happy and, and that Jesus loved her. And she turned her head from me and looked out the window the whole time. So I, 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 finally, got to the, I finally got to where they, they got out of the car no warmth, no nothing, just the, the little kid, he's fine, but she is struggling. That week, I got a letter from her, from the 13-year-old, and she poured out her heart of how much it meant to her for me to talk to her about God's love and that we loved her and cared about her just poured out her heart in that letter. It broke the ice. We later were able to baptize her. And um, so I say you don't ever know. There is the, most, the strongest power in the universe is the power of unselfish love. Mark it down. It's more powerful than all the guns. It's more powerful than all the hate. It's more powerful than all the bitterness. It's more powerful than anything else in the universe is the unselfish love of God. So if you've got kids that are giving you the cold shoulder and you don't think you... you don't stop. That's, we're there to, to win those kids and to reach those kids for the Lord. You keep reaching out to them. You keep letting them know, hey, it's so good to see you. Well, they turn their head. They still heard you. You know, been thinking about you this week. That kind of a thing. And when you get a chance, talk to them about the love of Jesus. Savior loves you, cares about you. Don't be afraid to say it. Don't be afraid to give them. You know, my life has been so changed because Jesus just, he's come into my heart and I have such peace and I want you to have that peace. Talk about what Jesus has done for you and how you want them to have it. It's power in that. Great power. See, this is the setting. In, we, we forget about all of this and we jump right into the redemptive discipline. Well, redemptive discipline is the bigger picture. And we really shouldn't ever talk about it or really get into it and study it unless we get the bigger picture. And if the, if the elders aren't eldering and the deacons aren't deacon and the deaconesses aren't deaconess, how do you do that one? If people aren't doing what Jesus has called us to do, then redemptive discipline gets to be a legalistic checklist where we clean up the church books. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus wants clean churches, but he doesn't want empty 
books or neglected books. That's the other thing. I worry about all the neglect because people say, oh, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody. I might run them away. Listen, godly love doesn't run people away. It's powerful to attract people. So, but then let's say that that you've got somebody, and your elders mean you've got somebody, you've done the rescue plan, you've done everything you can, and, and the person is just, just doesn't respond. Maybe, they've, uh, maybe they're just blatantly breaking the Sabbath. Then how do you, how do, you do this? What, what do you do? Regardless of what it is. Dealing with a sinning brother. Let's look at verse 15. Still with me? You're watching my time for me? All right. Ten minutes. Then we'll be back at it this afternoon. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. And what's the next word? Alone. Why is that alone such an important thing? Yeah, number one, if I'm coming to you alone, I'm not out to get you. I'm out to... Touch my heart with your heart. And I want to make sure that you know I care about you. But I don't understand. I'll, let's just, I'll just pull it. This is an illustration. I'm, this didn't happen. I'm just pulling it out of the, out of the air. If I, if I come to you and I said um, to you, what is your, your name? Vaughn. I said, Vaughn, you know, I, I'm not, maybe after we've talked a little bit, say, I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how to bring this up, but. And I think I really made a mistake. I, I think it's, but I, I want to protect your reputation. I, I was driving by the tavern the other night. And I just happened to see you come out, and you must have stepped in a mud puddle because you were staggering all over the place. And I said, I know that's not Vaughn. That would have never happened with Vaughn. So, but I just want to make sure that everything's okay. Just, are you okay? Is everything okay? Yeah, exactly. Everything gets real quiet. And he drops his head and he says, I know it wasn't a mud puddle. Our Almighty said, well, maybe you were in there in gathering, you know, gathering. You had, maybe you had a Bible study in there or something. No, I, I didn't have a Bible study. So, Vaughn, you, you, you're struggling with something, aren't you? Now, he knows with that. And I'm on his side. Now, I'm going to work with that. There's nothing in the Bible that says that I, have to, that I have to go only one time. There's nothing that says I have to do one, two, three, four, and I'm done. There's nothing that says that. So now we're going to work with him. We're going to try to help him. And he said, yeah, I've got a problem. I really need some help. Well, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do as elders, how we can put our... Well, I really would appreciate that because I really don't want to go down that road. But, you know, before I became an Adventist, I had this problem. And, and I, I've been able to hold it off for, for you know, three years. But the other, day, the other week, I, I was just depressed. And, I, you know, and, and all of a sudden, I found the temptation just overwhelming, and I yielded to it. And I said, we, we understand because we're fellow travelers. It may not be that, but it may be something else. But we value your walk with Christ. And so now we're going we're gonna to plunge in here and really, really try to help. That's, that's redemptive discipline.
Now, if I get a different response from him that says, well, you know, come on, guys, a little social drinking is not going to hurt anybody. Now, I'm dealing with a different kind of a problem. If he says, no, it really doesn't really matter, it's okay to be drinking some. And now we're going to labor, you know, I'm going to really try. But if that attitude persists, then I'm going to go to an elder. By the way, I have people, uh, I, I have uh, members come up to me as a pastor and they say, Pastor, I, did you know that so-and-so was doing such-and-such? I said, no, I, I didn't know that. You know what the next thing is out of their mouth? What are you going to do about it? And as a pastor, I look back and say, no, I, I don't think that's the biblical way. I think the real question is, is what are you going to do about it? Because you are the one who saw it. Now, don't be afraid. I'm going to coach you how to do this. And if you need some help, we can get you some help. So I'm not playing a hard game here. I I want people to do their job, but I want to help them equip them to do their job. So that's part of my job is to help equip them. So let's talk about what you saw, and let's talk about how to go about this. Okay, let's go back to my other illustration. Let's say I'm getting resistance, resistance, and, hey, I don't think there's... So now I go to the elders and say, look, I've really tried here, and I, I think it's time that I need an elder to go with me. And it usually should be an elder. So they pick the elder that has the most influence to go with me. And then we go to that person. And we say, look, we... And so I recount what happened and say... And so what, are, what is Jesus doing when he does this? If I go to one, and now I'm going with two, what is Jesus doing? I'm telling you what he's, going to, what he's doing. He's turning up the power of influence. It's maybe easier to resist me as one person, but it's going to be harder to resist two of us who love you. If you want to get to me, you usually want to get to somebody that has influence with me. Am I right? You want, you want to get to me? Well, Maybe you go talk to ministerial secretary or the conference secretary. You really want to get to me, then you go talk to my wife or my mother. You know, I've got the most wonderful mother. She's 85. She lives alone. She's active in her church. And she's a sweetheart. She really is a sweetheart. But I'm telling you, if somebody goes and talks to her, and I'm not giving you her phone number, and I'm not giving you her email <laughs> She is not afraid to address it with me. I am still her boy. Still her boy. And I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm so blessed. Anyway, so what Jesus is doing is turning up the power of influence. So if the two of them go, maybe they go more than once. Maybe they go several times, and they're just not getting anywhere. And finally, they come to the place that, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to share this with the elders uh, we don't want to do this, but you're part of this congregation. You're, you've, you've said that you want to walk the way we're walking, and we don't, we don't believe in drinking alcohol. It, it, it's, you know, you've done all the things. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not giving it up. You, 
So what do you do? So we've got to go to the elders. So the elders then come, and they say, look, we please, and they're pleading, and they're saying, no, well, then, then we're going to have to tell it to the church. Now what's happening? Is Jesus turning up the influence more? Now let me tell you what usually happens. Because I told you there were four steps and not three. So I'm going I'm to prove that to you from Scripture. If you have your Bible, if you turn with me to verse 17, chapter 18, verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But that's not the end of the story. What usually happens is we tell it to the church. We're going to have the business meeting. You can show up and explain why you think you ought to continue to be able to drink and, and be part of the fellowship. And, and so what usually happens is he usually doesn't show up because he really, at this point, has already said to himself, drinking is more important than my church membership. And the saints say, well, you've done everything you can do, and we vote to disfellowship him or whatever. That's not what it says. It says, tell it to the church. Listen to the next part. But if he refuses even to hear the church. What you've done now is you've got the whole church involved. You've turned up all the power of influence that you've got, and the whole church gets into gear going to him and saying, you know, we love you. We don't want to lose you. Won't you give this up? Even if you can't see it from Scripture, won't you do it because of Christ and because of us? We, we value you. And they're pleading with him. The whole church is involved. Maybe, they, maybe not everybody in the church can go, but they're sending the elders now. The elders come as a delegation. Maybe the church board, maybe they select several different people. They represent that they come and they plead with you. One more time, maybe two or three times. And if it's stubborn, no, I'm not going to give this up. I'm going to keep drinking. Then, then, you vote to disfellowship. Please. Oh, we've got one minute. If he refuses to hear them, verse 17, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be like, to you, like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, we don't believe in shunning, but it does change the relationship. It does change the relationship. It changes the relationship from being a member of the family to being no longer a member of the family, but someone that we would like to bring back into the family. Follow what I'm saying? We'd like to bring you back, but there is a changed relationship. There's not going to be the same intimacy. There's not going to be the same uh, closeness of fellowship. There's, there's not going to be. Not going to be on the inner circle. He's not going to be in the inner circle of the family anymore. And I can't, I can't always designate how that looks, but there is a difference, and there should be a difference. But that doesn't stop our prayers. And sometimes you have to wait for years. Sometimes you've done everything you can, and you just have to wait for the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God said, remembered 
and came, and then he comes back and he says, with tears, how could I have given up 10 years of missing your fellowship? In fact, I tell people, if we're doing redemptive discipline right, the fellowship of the church is so precious that people, they can't stand to be away from us. And even if they've been disfellowshipped, they'll want to come back because they just can't stand not being close to us anymore because the love of God is so powerful. Now, maybe some will not go that route, but I'm telling you that that, if we're doing redemptive discipline right, if we're doing the whole picture, if we've been nurturing and building and discipling, then they're not going to leave those communions easily. That's why it can't be just these four steps. It's got to be the bigger picture or we don't accomplish what we have to do. Well, I'm out of time. This afternoon, we're going to get into the nominating committee. This is going to get really interesting. It's too bad I don't have another thing. I'd love to pull my PowerPoint out and do that one on competition, but they didn't ask me to do that. They asked me to do this, so I'm going to do that for another time. All right, I can't believe we got two hours going. Any, if you want to um, ask questions afterwards, I'll, st- I'll hang around a few moments. Any questions before I go, real quick ones? Yes. All right, two. Okay, I'm really going over. I'm, I'm, I'm fudging here. Um, we were thinking about how to approach women. Um, I was taught that um, the woman extends her hand first. In other words, you, are, you, you, you here's a man coming up to a woman, and uh, uh, I didn't, it looked like you reached out to shake her hand, uh, but I always understood that it was the woman's place first. Is that... Um, I, I think that is um, is good. It's the way it used to be. It's probably not as much the norm anymore. Um, I don't hesitate to stick my hand out to shake a lady's hand. I don't wait. Sometimes that's a little too formal. It's, just, it's church, and I don't think people worry about it as much anymore. The second question is, uh, she comes up and just sort of grabs you and wants to hug you like that. Um, and is that when you go into the tent thing? or? Um... Yes. That's when I do the tent thing. <laughs> Good question. Be, be why. We're, we're representing Christ here. We're, we're trying to do the work of the Lord Jesus. I don't want to push people away. I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings. But I don't initiate that except in a crisis. And if I get, if a woman comes up and hugs me, I'm going to be this. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Somebody should have said amen. God stand for the benediction. Ross, would you have a benediction? We'll be back at it this afternoon. Father in heaven, thank you that you love people and that all you want us to do is to allow you to love people through us. Um, sometimes love is not always allowing things to go on that are going to destroy people. And that's what we've been talking about. And we pray that you'll continue to guide us as we seek to understand the loving way to accomplish your purposes. As we go our way now, we pray that you will bless us. And in the meeting that is to follow, may your Holy Spirit be there once again. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.